Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? I am, you know, there's a little bit of a strain in my voice, mm-hmm. listener, as you may hear, but I am I am doing well. We are so excited to be back with our second episode yep. on the, the, the New York Mystery Machine. Thanks for all the love from episode one. Um and yeah, uh, 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 it's been a it's been a, a wonderful week, and we'll probably say it later. But um, to continue these conversations, make sure you head on over to our social medias. Yes, uh, you can follow us at NY NY <laughs> Mystery. Don't Machine. be fooled. We've called it New York Mysteries previously, but it's it's NY NY Mystery Machine on the Instagram and the Facebook now and the Facebook. If it's so relevant, we got it. I'm not there sure if Facebook's relevant or not, but we're using it. Right. And um, at NY Mysteries on the Twitter. Right. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited um, to to hear what you have presented for us today, Christina. What do we have going on? We've got a weird fucking alien story. Well, I think episode two is the best place to introduce to aliens, introduce aliens, which uh, is really your your place because you are the queen of the X Files. Yes, it so. is my beloved. Um, I can identify episodes by title within twenty ish seconds of the cold open, which I'm very proud. Thirteen um, year old me used to just find the scripts transcribed online and read that. I'm anyway. Um, but yes, today is one of the cases of of alien abduction, the most one of the most bizarre, well documented cases, I would say. Um, and when I say alien abductions, what comes to mind for you, Adam? What are some word associations? Like, like UFO- I say aliens and abduction, and you say UFOs. Uh huh. Um, you know, beam me up. Yep. Yeah. Nasal implants come oh, to mind. Yeah, probes. Probes, lots of probing happening. Um and and we have one of our, our, our main persons in today's story to thank for the the popularization of some of these conceits. Oh. Um it's a man named Bud Hopkins, and we'll get into him. Um but What's exciting, I think, one of the many exciting things about this story is that one thing that a lot of UFO, alien skeptics like to throw out there is, okay, if there are these really high-tech, crazy aliens coming and doing these things, why are they doing it in the middle of the night when no one's looking and no one believes any of the people who say they have these experiences because no one else has witnessed this, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Why not essentially land on the lawn of the White House and make a splash? Yeah, like why are you picking up, you know, Farmer Joe and his kids, right? You know, and and Bumble, Bumblefuck New York, exactly. Um, and what Bud Hopkins, who has done a lot of the documentation on this case, would say is that this is probably that case. Oh. Um, and so today we're talking about the Brooklyn Bridge UFO abduction. So not in Bumblefuck New York. The Brooklyn Bridge? Brooklyn Bridge UFO abduction. Sometimes it's the Manhattan abductions. There's the bridge involved, but it happened in Manhattan. It's a little bit of a, a weird border, you know, dispute, if you will. Oh uh, but yes, happened middle of New York City. Um, so let's meet our main characters. So like I said, this case, and in many ways, alien abductions, that so we think of them writ large, have Bud Hopkins to thank for their publicity. 
So Bud Hopkins, born Elliot Bud Hopkins in Virginia, who died in 2011 at the age of 80, was an American artist, a respected abstract expressionist painter and sculptor. So you can actually see his work in major museums, among them the Met, the Smithsonian, the Whitney, the Brooklyn Museum, MoMA, the British Museum, so U.S. and internationally. But he's also extremely well known for his work in UFOlogy or UFOlogy. Not really sure which way that goes. I've heard it both ways. UFOlogy or UFOlogy? UFOlogy. UFOlogy. There's only one O. There's one O. There's one O. But it just sounds wrong. UFOlogy? Like, well, where'd the other O go? Where's the object part? Um, Anyway. Anywho. um, He documents uh, the, the lived experiences of folks who say they had these encounters with UFO phenomena and alien abductions. And he becomes interested in UFO phenomena himself because of his own encounter. He saw uh, what he thought to you know, be a UFO um, in 1964 in Cape Cod. He eventually wrote about abductions for the Village Voice, which attracted the attention of Cosmopolitan, which in turn led to his being the recipient of tons of letters from folks sharing their alien encounters. Mm. Per his New York Times obituary, he became quickly the first person to collect and publish the stories of encounters and experiences of abductees and is thus often credited as being the one who began the alien abduction movement. Um, And his work was interesting not only to, like, the armchair enthusiast of this kind of thing, but also experts in scientific fields. Uh, So John Mack, a Harvard psychiatrist, becomes associated with him and does a lot of work around this kind of thing. So if you've watched The X-Files, which you should, then a lot of what we associate with alien abductions... And the recollection of such affairs are things that we're going to find throughout this story and are motifs that Hopkins himself made widely known through his books and articles. And he's based in New York. He's based in New York, um, primarily. Uh, he does have like a, I think, a summer home somewhere. As but, one does. Like you do. But he's, if not in New York City, he's somewhere in commuting distance. Um, and so... You know, he encourages people to undergo regressive hypnosis, to recall these events. He notices similarities across experiences. So, for example, there's usually movement through the air into a waiting spacecraft, lost time, large-eyed, small-mouthed, gray-skinned aliens uh, who seem interested in the sperm and eggs of the abductees. So he starts thinking about alien-human hybridization as maybe being a goal of this whole thing. Uh, So... This is basically seasons one through nine of the X-Files. Wow, okay. Um, And he's really interested in supporting abductees. Uh, So he founds the Intruders Foundation in 1989, um, which is meant to support abductees, research their stories. He even holds group therapy sessions for them in his studio on like a monthly basis. And in 1987, he publishes a book called Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods, which was on the New York Times bestseller for four weeks. We'll put a pin in in Bud Hopkins for a minute. Put him on the shelf. Get on the shelf, Bud. So our second major player is Linda Cortile. Not her real name. Um, It's the name by which Hopkins refers to her uh, to protect her anonymity. Uh, And I'll say, too, that some skeptics who eventually, you know, write a number of critiques of this case end up revealing her actual name, which is shitty. Really shitty. That's some garbage. Um, So we won't do that today. So Linda Cortile is a born and bred New Yorker, Roman Catholic, a Republican, 
Her fiancé was a Navy SEAL who died in Vietnam, and she eventually marries a man named Steve and becomes the mother of two sons. They live in Manhattan um, on the 12th uh, floor of a building not too far from uh, the FDR. And in 1988, Cortile goes to buy a copy of His Way, the unauthorized biography of Frank Sinatra, and while at the bookstore, decides to purchase Intruders. What a detail. I just she love it. She's on the way to purchase His Way. Right? The unauthorized. I love, you know, what what a left turn her life is about to take because she she goes for this one book and then sees the cover of Intruders and says to herself, ooh, that sounds like a mystery because there's like these lights and the woods and a house. And she's like, you know what? I bet it's it has to do with some guy searching for an intruder on his property. And you may say that at one point she was flown to the moon and hung around the stars kind of figured out what was going on on uh, Jupiter and Mars. Boo! <laughs> Five out of ten. I'll give you half points for that. Um, so she actually decides to read that book first. She went for she went for the Frank Sinatra, but she, she reads that book first that night. And she's quickly disabused of the idea that this has anything to do with just like your normal standard mystery. Uh, she says that it was more terrifying than any mystery novel could have been. She wrote in a, an article that she would publish in the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, uh, UFO Journal. It's a great word, isn't it? MUFON. June 1993 edition. That, uh, quote, it didn't scare me in the same way. No, the fear was different. And I neither liked nor understood my reaction. I stopped one page short of finishing chapter one. A passage near the bottom of page 26 read, quote, There is evidence that both Kathy and her son Tommy have had implants inserted near their brains, one through the nasal cavity. At this point, I began to feel panicky, and I knew why. She was panicky because she had a similar nasal situation. Uh-oh. 1976, so like over 10 years earlier, don't make me do math. That's like, what, 13? 13 years earlier-ish. No. 12, doesn't matter, 1976. She had discovered, shortly after giving birth, a lump on the right side of her nose, and she immediately panics. She's like, oh my God, I just had a baby. What if this is a tumor? What if this is cancerous? She goes, she gets it checked out, and the doctor says not to worry. It's just built up cartilage from a surgical scar. So I know, thank God it wasn't like in 2020, because she would like, went to... Oh God! WebMD, and WebMD be like... It's either a tumor or an alien. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That would have been, yes. Do anyway. not do not WebMD your alien abduction symptoms. They won't know. Idea. Uh, and the thing is, she never had surgery of any kind. She had like oral surgery, one for like a tooth, like a wisdom tooth. But that was it. She even checked with her mom. I was like, did I ever have like as a kid? And her mom said, no. Um, and she asked the doctor like, okay. I never had surgery. What if I like once picked my nose really hard? Is that what this is? Which happens. You know? And the doctor said, no, this is the kind of like scar that comes from like using a scalpel. So that's why she freaks the fuck out when she reads Intruders. And she takes a while to sort of work up the courage. But eventually, almost a year later, so like April, May of 1989, Cortile decides to send Hopkins a letter. Mm. And to her surprise, Hopkins writes back, um, which wasn't so terribly unusual. He's interested in this. He has this 
group therapy thing, but she didn't know that. And in, in the article she writes, she said at the time she wasn't even sure if she believed in UFOs or aliens. She just knew that this was some weird shit that had happened to her, that she'd had weird dreams over the course of her life. Um, and so she shares them with Hopkins. She sometimes, I think, attends some of these, these sessions. But her skepticism around UFOs and aliens would change through the events of November 30th, 1989 and their aftermath. So... November 30th, 1989, Linda Cortile calls Bud Hopkins and said that she had been taken again earlier that morning. She could only remember a handful of events consciously at the time. She remembered that she was going to bed and her husband and kids were already asleep. As she lay in bed, she could feel presence in the room. She knew it wasn't her husband near like her side of the bed because she could hear him snoring next to her. When she whispered her kids' names, nobody responded. So eventually she works up the courage to open her eyes. And at the foot of her bed, she sees one of these aliens. Again, you know, large, black eyes, gray skin, no Classic mouth. alien. Classic alien. You picture an alien, you're going to see this face. Which leads you to believe, do we create that image because so many people have seen that kind of alien? Mm. Or do people who talk about claiming to see aliens just use that because that's what we use like mm-hmm. as a colloquial you know visual of right. a of an alien right is it a suggestive thing that we see something gray and weird at the foot of our bed and we're like oh That's i know what that alien. is or is it that this is the species of alien that keeps doing this just this one stuff. species because yeah i agree if there's like aliens coming down to earth it's not going to just be from like one planet or if it is it's not going to be one race from one planet we have right. so many races on 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 this planet so many ethnicities yeah yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, what is, what is, well, now I just want to talk about, like, the archaeology of, like, an alien world and what that might look like. Ooh, that'd it, be a fun episode. Right? And then, like, what would aliens think when they come to us, when eventually we inevitably die and blow ourselves up or something, that and we, it's just our, our archaeological remains? What will the aliens, and this is why I'm against half of this digitization thing, because if our technology isn't compatible with theirs, they will think we just suddenly stopped writing literature at some point, because it's all on discs as opposed to hard copies. This is why hard copies are good, folks. Go it, support your bookstores. It's so weird that you got so much. T- oh, you're on that. You're on that um, soapbox. That's why. If you can just step uh, down mm, for a second. Mm, 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 I see. I see. I see how this is. That's fine. I think though that'd be a cool idea though to 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 have that kind of theory conversation. Maybe on a, a future bonus episode. Yes. Maybe something that we can give Patreon. Mm. Patreon, you say that's later. Okay. <laughs> Back to the story. So she sees this being at the foot of her bed and she throws a pillow at him and she she hits him. Good on her. Good on um, her. But immediately the rest of her body, except her head, goes numb. She then remembered like a white fabric sort of flowing up and over her eyes and back down again. The vibration of pounding like little fists, she said, up and down her back. And then she remembered falling into her bed. And then she remembered running into her kid's room and they were non-responsive and she was immediately like oh my god they've killed my family her husband wasn't snoring she couldn't see them breathing but she had a really good head on her shoulders nonetheless because she goes and she gets a tiny mirror from the bathroom and sort of like slips it next to their nose so that eventually she sees the the mist and the fog from their breath start fogging the mirror and she's like okay they're here and as she sees that happen she also starts to hear her husband snore again so later she and hopkins would talk about like 
almost like they were switched off for the duration. Like time was off. Exactly. Like a little bubble. Exactly. Like they were not breathing. It's just that it was out of time. Right. And so, you know, the time, there is passage of time because she, um, she remembered looking at the clock and seeing there was like 315 in the morning when this first started. And I, uh, I'd have to double check. I want to say it's like 430 in the morning or so it's, it's sometime later that, um, she's, she's back in the apartment, but there's something about you know, I get the right. She wasn't experienced time. time. She wasn't experiencing time the way we experienced time. Yeah. So that. missing time, right? That's a big motif. Um, so Hopkins suggests that they have her undergo hypnotic regression to uncover a little bit more. Um, so how familiar are you with hypnotic regression? Um, just like in terms of, you know, you put someone to some, you, you, you get hypnotized so you can access old, you know, memories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's sometimes called hypnotic regression therapy or regressive hypnosis. And the idea is based on the premise that our mind has too much information related to memory to consciously have at the ready all the time, right? So if you have your, your browser open on your computer with 90,000 billion tabs, eventually your computer's going to overheat and get really mad at you. And the same is sort of similar in our brains, right? We, you know, we need to compartmentalize and decide what memories, are, you know, are going to be kept at the fore. Get, get what gets the cut. But right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I was doing a bunch of research on that for for a book I was working on, and also like a, a thing that dictates that too is like trauma and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when something traumatic happens, your brain, in a way to protect you, just flags everything that relates to that topic yep. in one way, shape, or form. It could be like, you know, if this is if aliens is a thing that is your brain's flagging, it's like, well, I watched the movie Predator once, and that's flagged. You'll only remember watching the movie Predator because your brain's like, nope, you don't need all that stuff. Flag, 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 right. flag, flag, and you probably, you know, and maybe along the the journey, you'll 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 organically um, recall these memories, but probably not. So God bless, you lost the memories forever. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, your brain's being economical, right? Like it, it needs and it's protecting itself. Um, and so the idea with regressive hypnosis is that, you know, you are able to access these memories more easily. So hypnosis is a, a legit recognized therapeutic technique. Regressive hypnosis is a little bit more controversial. It's often used to recall past lives, but even more controversial is when it's used to recall memories in this one, right? So the idea or the logic behind that is that if you remember a past life, so be it. If you remember something weird or traumatic in this one, that has the real possibility to screw up your relationships with Mm. other people. And what if, you know, in this hypnotic state, you were, you know, might be highly suggestive and perhaps it's almost like an implanted memory. You know, the way that the therapist says something maybe creates it or maybe it's like a dream, right? Where like highly symbolic imagery that shouldn't be taken literally. So there's a lot of controversy around this, but it's something that happens or is done a lot with alien abductees and people who've experienced UFOs. So... She does this. And it seems that Hopkins himself is a practitioner of this, and he's the one who puts her in hypnosis. Um, And so through this process, Cortile remembers a few more things. After throwing the pillow, she walked from her bedroom into the living room, and there was one of these beings in front of her and another two behind her. Then again, she remembers this white fabric over her eyes and down again, and she remembered that maybe it was her nightgown. She was really worried that she was just there naked suddenly. And then somehow she's outside her window, her closed 12th story 
child protection bars on the window windows. Mm. And she's hovering in the middle of Manhattan, again, 12 stories up, in the middle of a bluish white light and has this intense pressure on her chest and tear ducts. She has trouble breathing. She can't move her lips. She can't cry for help. Again, all of this is traumatic and all of it's fairly standard in terms of abducting memories. What is unusual and what is really almost unheard of in alien abductee literature is what happened next. Witnesses to her abduction came forward. Oh, Nellie. Yes. 14 months after recovering these memories. So we're in February 1991 now. This thing drags on for years, by the way. We're just going to keep going like down, down through the 90s. So it's February 1991. Cortile gets a call from Hopkins and he has incredible news. He received a letter from two witnesses of her abduction. And in it, the authors explain that they are police officers named Dan and Richard. Spoiler, they are not police officers, but we'll get to that. Mm. And they say that on the morning of November 30th, 1989, at about 3 to 3.30 a.m., they were sitting in their patrol car, not a patrol car, underneath the underpass of the FDR Drive. And they see this reddish glowing oval hovering over an apartment building two or three blocks ahead, turns bluish white and they grab the binoculars from their glove compartment and through it they see this woman in a long white nightgown float out of the building and into the oval along three other creatures the oval then flew over them and plunged into the east river behind the brooklyn bridge near pier 17 and in their letter they expressed concern they felt this incredible guilt that they didn't do anything that they didn't try to stop it or or go over there they didn't know what happened to the woman. Apparently, they waited for like 45 minutes to see if it would come back up. And it just didn't. And so they've been living with this crushing guilt. So plunged into the East River. Never to be seen again. From, from what they imagine. Right. Plunged into the East River and never to be seen again. Just never came back. Um, and so they essentially said that, you know, they've been poking around. They know that Hopkins is like a big abductee researcher and, you know, if he knows anything or if he can find out anything to let them know if she's okay. The timing on this is really strange. Why, why all these years? Yeah. So He's existed. I mean, she's been talking to him since the 80s. So why is it 1991 and these people come forward all of a sudden? Um, I think that is a legit criticism. That's something that people bring up. You know, they clearly saw this happen. They know what building. So why didn't they just go knock on her door and see if she lived there? Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know, the possibility that they didn't fully remember or didn't believe what they'd seen and okay. then just kept weighing on them in the same way that like Linda Cortile took a whole year after reading Intruders to contact, contact Hopkins and be yeah. like, I think something weird happened. Sure. Um, but I don't know. It is weird. It's very weird. It's about to get weirder. Oh boy. So Hopkins tells us to Cortile, she's flabbergasted. Um, and she, he also explains what to do if they were to ever try to contact her. He says, you know, don't share your, your memories or anything we've discussed or any of the hypnotic regression with them because he wants to make sure that he has the chance to document their version of things first. He doesn't want her discovered memories to like essentially confirmation bias, to be suggestive and, yeah. and help them suddenly like piece it together when maybe they would have had a slightly different recollection. Um, sure enough, two or three weeks later after this phone call, there's a knock on Cortile's door, and there are two men standing outside. They flash a gold badge, and so Cortile goes, oh, they're, they're plainclothes officers. I'll let them in. She lets them in. Don't do that, kids. Ah! But she does. And they introduce themselves, and immediately she realizes, 
oh, this is this is Richard and Dan. Don't like that. Yeah. Don't like them. And when they see a Cortile, both Richard and Dan react really emotionally. So Dan sits on the couch and puts his head in his hands and just keeps saying, it's her, Rich, it's her. He makes himself at home, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> just sits, sits on the couch. Sits on the couch. Come on in. And Richard goes over and hugs Cortile, almost crying, which like also kind of a weird thing that I don't like, like, random stranger comes into my house and says, oh, it's you, and then hugs me? Let me hug Mm -mm. you. Um, And it gets even more bizarre because Dan starts questioning Quartile, saying, you know, like, how did you do it? How did you levitate out the window? Like, she had, you know, the power to do this. And even asked if she were, quote, a half-breed, unquote. So essentially an alien-human hybrid. Calm the F down. Yeah. Really, like... Take a chill Shitty pill. choice of words, too. Half-breed. God. Um, so it's this whole scene. It's like 45 minutes of this. Dan gets more and more, like, worked up. And eventually Richard has to, like, calm him down. And they they leave. And when Cortile closes the door behind them, she looks through the, the, the peephole, the peephole thing on the door to look into the hallway. And she sees Dan grab Richard by the lapels and just repeat over and over, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Richard, Jesus Christ. And so that happens. She tells Hopkins, it soon becomes clear that Richard, and therefore probably Dan, know quite a lot about Cortile's daily routines. So after this incident, days, weeks after, Cortile runs into Richard two or three times. So she runs into him at unexpected moments, like when she's getting off the bus or dropping off her kid at the bus. You know, wherever he was stalking her that day. Right, exactly. Just where, you know, just as he happened to follow her around, like on the way to church. And each time she would urge him to, you know, meet with Hopkins, at the very least send a recording. Like, leave me the F alone. <laughs> Stop this. This is creepy as fuck. Um, and even though he, you know, Hopkins actually never meets Dan and Richard. But Richard clearly felt that at least providing a recording, like an audio recording, would be okay. So he he sends a cassette of his account. Um he describes seeing Cortile in a fetal position as she floats out the window in her white nightgown, which Hopkins concludes from that that this is the white material Cortile kept remembering, right? So if she has this white nightgown on and she's pulled into a fetal position, um, her knees are going to be right near her eyes and mm. it's going to look like this coming up and down of it. Sure. And then in April 1991... Hopkins gets another letter from Richard and Dan, and this time they reveal more information about why they're not coming forward publicly. Dan and Richard are not cops. What? What a shocker. I know. They're more of a security detail for an important political figure who often, quote, speaks to many corners of the globe, unquote, (laughs) and whom they were escorting to a heliport downtown that morning. This political figure, who was referred to as the third man by Cortile and Hopkins, was in the car with them that night and apparently saw everything. And with that, Adam, I think we should take a break. Oh, no. I want to hear more about the third man. It's a great movie, but you got to wait. All right. Well, we're going to be back in, in just a few seconds. And we're back. All right. We, 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 we're we learning about this third man. Hit me. Spoiler. 
We don't know who he is. Well, that was really anticlimactic, Christina. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. Um, but he's really important. We're gonna, we're gonna, we will, we will speculate in a little while about who he might be. So they're transporting the third man to this helicopter downtown when their car mysteriously dies. Right, the radios are dead too, and they decide to wait about 15 minutes before trying to restart the car. And during that time, they see the abduction happen, and it seems the third man also was a witness. When the incident's over, the third man, understandably, becomes sort of hysterical and says that he wants to go chasing after this thing that plunged into the river. He wants to go swimming to try to get to it. And Richard and Dan calm him down and say, you know, absolutely not. That's a really bad idea. Um, And eventually, the third man, a little more calmly, adds to Dan and Richard that they were to forget he was ever there. Do not mention that this happened. But at the same time, He's given Dan and Richard permission to reveal the details that they're revealing. The letter went on, quote, I learned that he, the third man, had seen Linda twice without Linda seeing him, of course. So again, more stalking. Mr. Hopkins, we hope that you can understand why we won't be coming forward. This whole situation goes too high in the ranks to do so. However, whatever information we have given to you also gives you a free hand to do as you wish, so long as, and this is in caps, we are not identified. Mm. As he said, he being the third man, considering the toll this whole incident has taken on all of us and possibly on thousands of other people in the past and in the present, this incident may be the perfect opportunity to develop a cushion so as to soften the hard blow society will feel in the future when certain information comes out. The letter ended with a command... Mr. Hopkins, remember it all and write it down. Sincerely, Richard, Danny, and him. Mm. So this is, you know, all of this is detailed in his his book, Witnessed, the true story of the Brooklyn Bridge UFO abductions that Hopkins writes, which is here in the studios with us. Um, and in it, Hopkins explains that he's taken the political details out of the letter to protect the third man's anonymity but that there was enough that Hopkins had a pretty good guess as to who the third man might be. Eventually, uh, it also comes to light that they were not the only ones there, right? So they're in their car, the three Mm. of them, but there were two other cars, all of them with important officials and their security details. At one point, they list that there were two U.S. government officials, two foreign statesmen, and one world leader. So if you're thinking about the geography of Manhattan, what happens to be here, what do we have? We've got the UN. And that's the figure I think we're talking about when we talk about the third man. But we'll get to that. So things are weird. Things are really fucking weird. So weird. But they're about to become really dangerous. Uh So April 29th, 1991, Linda calls Hopkins and says that Richard and Dan kidnapped her. I'm sorry, what? Richard and Dan kidnapped her. It's probably Dan's fault. He has no chill. (laughs) Dan, Dan needs to relax. Linda ran into Richard on her way to the store that morning, and he invited her to come in his car for a ride. And like a good New Yorker, she said no. Yeah, smart girl. And she begins to go into the street, and Richard grabs her arm and says she could go nicely or she could go kicking and screaming. And she put up a hell of a fight. She punches him. She resists being pushed into the car. When she's forced in, she pulls out a stun gun, but the battery was too low. All this to say, eventually, Dan, yes, Dan, who was in the driver's seat, drives off with her in the car. 
And they began to ask her a string of questions. Who was she working for? What government agency? Where did those beings come from? How did she get through the child guard on her windows without it being open or taken off? Do you think they saw us? Mm. And then a really weird request. Will you take off your shoes? That's odd. And she at first refused and they insisted that she need to take off her shoes and her socks. It seems that they were still investigating this possibility that she was part alien and something about her feet would betray this. Eventually, Cortile is released and brought back to her apartment. It's been like three hours. And she's super frightened to leave her house again, understandably. But she also decides not to go to the authorities or press charges. She says uh, in, in this later article that she writes, quote, if the rumors are true about some of the actions that are taken against people to keep them quiet, why in the world would I risk that chance if I were believed by going head to head with any government agency? And if I wasn't believed, why would I want to make a fool out of myself? Plus, she's, you know, she fears revenge. If Dan and Richard learned that she reported them, they will already know not only where she lives, but apparently every moment of her waking and day. Don't mind and don't And just her. like show up and abduct her. You know, but she does manage to recall a couple of things about the incident, again, under regressive hypnosis. For the car that Dan and Richard pushed her into, as well as a Rolls Royce that was parked immediately in front of it. And what she remembers about the license plates allows Hopkins to connect with some of his contacts who are NYPD officers who have come to him with their own experiences and were able to trace the plates to a particular nation's delegation at the UN. I don't have what delegation. He's being very coy and, you know, keeping everything anonymous. They also use another contact to go through hours of recordings of TV programs related to the UN that this guy has because of his line of work. And Linda Cortile goes through six hours of this footage before eventually spotting Dan on a special where he appears near Gorbachev in Gorbachev's 1988 visit to the UN. So they figure he's probably either UN or Secret Service, maybe NYPD, and they go around and call all these places and everybody's denying that they don't know who this person is in this picture. And if you think it's crazy, it's about to get weirder. How? Because they start remembering more things, Dan and Richard and the third man. So September 1991 rolls around, and you guess that there's another letter from Dan. Apparently, they all began to have more memories start to come through. And the third man said that they should all write down what they're remembering, and then meet, and then compare what they have written. And there was a lot of overlap. Apparently, after the craft plummets into the river, the third man had wanted to go swimming after it, right? And then suddenly they were sitting on a beach. They don't know how. And there were these beings standing around and digging in the sand. And the girl they saw floating out the window, so Linda Cortile, Mm. was standing there. And she was sort of overseeing everything. And she was speaking in the alien language. And eventually she holds up a dead fish and shouts at the three of them, look and see what you have done. Dan apparently asked who she was, and she didn't answer, but one of the beings did. Again, these beings have no mouths, apparently, so they're, like, projecting into their heads, I guess. Um, And the being says that they called her the Lady of the Sands. So some very Marian imagery right there. And then the beings, who, by the way, have no toes, and Linda, who had toes, turned their backs to face the sea. And then just as suddenly they were back in the car pulling the third man down from the roof. Apparently, they when they brought them back, they left the third man on the roof. Jeez. Um, and also, this kind of explains that whole weird... Time thing. Time thing and show me your feet in the oh, car, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. They were looking for the lack of toes, I guess. Sure. 
Dan went on to say that as a result of this, uh, they he believed that Linda Cortelia was helping the aliens, absolutely, and that she's not quite who she says she is. Eventually, Linda undergoes another hypnosis session with Hopkins. He hasn't shared this information with her. He wants to, you know, just go over things again with her, and she says, okay. And eventually, she starts to remember something about a beach, and she said that the aliens called her by some kind of title with the word sand in it. And Hopkins, you know, plays with it. And he's like, oh, what do you, what do you mean? Like they called you Linda Sands? And she said, no, no, no. It was, it was like a title. He said, like, like Mrs. Sands? She goes, no, it was like mistress or, or woman of. or So she didn't quite get there, but it's that phrase. And yeah, that yeah. is the phrase that like when the when Dan and Richard and the third man were comparing notes was the exact like phrase that they all had down to a T, even if there were little distinct things among the other accounts. She also recalls suddenly being switched on as though taken over by the alien beings. So perhaps that's how she knows the alien language. Sure. Um and then in October, Dan kidnaps Linda again. Jeez, Dan. This time, he takes her to a beach where he thought perhaps this incident went down. And he brings her to a beach somewhere on Long Island to a house. He has a white nightgown, like a negligee, and asks her to put it on. Oh, he's the worst. I know. Uh, so we could see if it was really her. And she was like, absolutely not. And he said, you have to. And she said, I'll put it on over my clothes. And he finally said, okay, fine. And eventually, she is able to run out of the house. And he catches her on the beach. Uh, he like pins her down, starts to say that they should run away together, that they were meant to be together. And then at this moment, Richard shows up and calms Dan down. Calm down, Dan. Calm down, Dan. And eventually Linda gets to go home. And then in December 1992, Bud Hopkins receives a letter from the third man himself. In it, the third man confirms the outline of events as we know it and says that he understands from all of this and from the Lady of the Sands that his mission must be world peace, but that if ever pressed or if anything about him was ever revealed by Hopkins, he would deny having any connection to UFOs, just outright deny it, but he was acknowledging this connection. The letters and revelations keep coming. It becomes clear to Hopkins that Linda and Richard have some sort of emotional connection. And eventually Richard writes to Hopkins that he had dreamt on and off since he was 10 of a girl and eventually a woman around his age or just a little younger. When they when he was a kid, the dream would always go that she was brought by two strange adults to this space that was really bright. Like it would always happen like when he first fell asleep, he would then have this dream. And even though they would spend time together, they could never remember each other's names. So they just gave each other nicknames that they remembered. So she called him Mickey and he called her Baby Anne. And they'd play and eventually, you know, as time went on, they began to be in their teens and eventually they fell in love. But the adults, the weird adults, would never let them stay together. And he had no idea who she was until, he claims, November 30th, 1989. It was Linda Cortile, he says. And as a result of this, um, and other memories that he described as um, bonding, that the aliens had them bond, which Hopkins took to mean like a euphemistic way of saying they had sex. He believed that one of Linda's children, Johnny, might have been his son as a result of these encounters. He decided 
that he wasn't going to tell Linda about it. He didn't think it was fair to her. But eventually Hopkins learns from Linda that she did have an imaginary friend growing up. And she'd imagine or dream about him only at night. And there were all these two adult men who would bring him to her, or bring her to him, rather, in a big white place. And all of a sudden, all the details, down to the names, began to match. So she said that she used to call him Mickey, and he would call her Anne. And it's worth noting, for the record, that these are things she recalled for Hopkins before she was placed in hypnotic state. It just It just gets weirder. So this idea that perhaps... You know, Richard and Linda have been having a forced connection for decades at this point. It turns out that the third man also believes he has some sort of extra relationship to this family. So one day, Linda's cleaning, and she finds a weird antique deep sea helmet at the bottom of the closet. She's like, what the what the fuck? She had no recollection of it, no idea where it came from, no idea why she would buy it. She made plans to sell it, but eventually her son, Johnny, calls Hopkins, who had been the one to suggest, why don't you just get rid of it? It's probably worth something. Calls Hopkins and says that his mom's out of the room, so he has to be quick, but that Hopkins needs to tell Linda she can't sell it because that helmet is mine. And he can't tell Linda, his mom, because he'd get in trouble for getting gifts from a stranger. Oh, gosh. Hopkins followed up and asked Johnny for the full story, and he records it. Apparently, Johnny was getting a cup of coffee for his dad and his dad's friends from a diner when an old man with an accent approached him and offered to give him this helmet. And Johnny said he'd get in trouble. The man offered to have it delivered when Johnny's parents weren't around. (laughs) Johnny said, okay, and gave a time when he knew his mom would be in the shower and his dad would be at work and his brother would still be asleep. The man asked for a hug and that Johnny should call him Poppy. Oh, gosh. And uh, Johnny said no. And then the man looked sad and got in a fancy car and drove away. And then at the appointed time, so like 6 a.m. in the morning, the man who had been driving that car arrived, knocked on the door, said he had Johnny's helmet, and gave it to him. So, kind of crazy. But what Hopkins does is he has a bunch of pictures he has pictures of the person he thinks is the third man from a newspaper and then a lot of other clippings of men who kind of look like him so he's doing like he's doing like a like a you know a a criminal lineup essentially for this kid and he asks you know to help you know whittle down like you know what does he look like does he look like any of these people and sure enough johnny identifies the person that hopkins suspects is the third man as the person who who wanted to be called Poppy and who gave him this gift. Um, At some point, Linda and another woman from Hopkins support group start to have dreams in which an elegant man in pajamas was featured and which Johnny, again, the son, was on some kind of a table. And Johnny was whimpering in this sleep-like state. And the man told Johnny not to cry that he would give him a gift. And eventually Linda identifies him as a third man. Now this seems to potentially be happening after Mm. so that could be maybe more suggestive than not eventually hopkins is able to meet the third man he never meets richard or dan but he does meet the third man in the presence of a friend of hopkins who was a reporter and they meet at an airport and during this interview the reporter who has an interest in ufos starts to really press him for you know what he thinks about ufos should we take them seriously and the third man sort of evades all of this 
And at some point, the reporter actually switches off his his recorder and prompts the third man directly about November 30th. And the third man remains evasive. So they leave. Um, before they leave, Hopkins gave the third man a package he'd prepared of a recording from Linda, a postcard from Johnny, some things. And he hands it to the third man. And the third man just takes it and puts it in his bag without and the weird thing to Hopkins is like if you don't know who I am why would you take a package from a stranger in an airport if you're a high up important government official like you probably have assassination attempts out there this is like a security breach are people over the last speaker saying don't take weird packages from strangers at an airport it's a bad idea so Hopkins took this as confirmation that no he he's he's saying what he said he would do right that he would deny any uh, relationship to UFOs, but that he clearly recognizes Hopkins. And so Hopkins doubles back. His friend goes off, and Hopkins goes back to the lounge where they'd met. He finds the third man reading this letter. And he goes over. The third man asks him to sit down. They chat with his wife. Um, the third man says he doesn't think he'd ever met Linda, which is something that was in one of the letters that Hopkins had you know, compiled for him. But he never said that this was ridiculous or why are you doing this? You've got the wrong person. And so Hopkins feels pretty confident about his identification. Um, Finally, there is the possibility Hopkins raised that these experiments might be occurring across generations. Johnny has had very weird dreams on and off. Hallmarks of abductions, but they didn't want to push it because he's a kid. And then when 1992... Everyone in the house and a friend of Johnny's who's sleeping over all wake up at the same time with nosebleeds in their right nostril. And Linda's son, Johnny, recalls the events of that night and specifically that he dreamt of his imaginary sister, a girl named Melody, who he always dreams about on and off. So it's the what? same idea as like baby Mickey, I'm sorry, baby Anne and Mickey, right? So this, it's happening again. We've spent a lot of time with Dan and Richard and the third man, but they're not the only people who have come forward. Oh my gosh. There was someone who independently recalled being abducted that same night, about 45 minutes before. They There was a neighbor of Linda's who recalls an incredibly bright light unlike anything she'd ever experienced outside the apartment window. And then there is a letter from a woman that we're going to call Janet Kimball, whose story matched Richard and Dan's and the third man's in many ways. Apparently she was on the way home from a party in New York and while driving home late, her car suddenly stopped and she sees this UFO and its lights and what she thought was a little girl in a white nightgown. So she was farther away. She didn't have the benefit of binoculars. And what she thought were three other children with extended heads that she thought maybe meant they were sick with something. And she was writing to say, you know, I hope they're okay. I don't know what they had. Stickling aliens. There's also f- some possible physical evidence from this. So Linda, the whole nose thing, um, her niece was a doctor and offered to x-ray Linda's head one day and was like, look, let's just get this once and for all. Yeah. And apparently what was found was a cylindrical shaft in her right nostril. And I have a picture of it. And we'll, we'll, we'll share this on the... On the Instagrams. It's really hard to see. Oh. Apparently, it's different when you do this to a head versus when you do it to a foot. But what I think is what they're talking about is this section here. So apparently, it's like a little rod in the nasal cavity that has like spirally things at either end to keep it in place. That's an implant, right? Mm Mm-hmm. About a week after she had this x-ray taken, but before her niece 
gave her the results. Uh, Linda woke up with a massive nosebleed and a subsequent x-ray revealed that that thing was gone. What? There's also like some things where like Richard woke up and like after that November 30th thing had like sand in his shoes from the beach and he sent it to Hopkins who sent it to the University of Nevada and it's sort of inconclusive. But there's a lot of weird stuff about this. And, you know, I think it's important to um, acknowledge that it whatever's happening has really screwed up things for a lot of people. Richard remains in love with Linda and thinks... To this day? I mean, as 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 of the writing of this book um, in 1996, and I, I imagine, um, you know giving them space but leaves Johnny happy birthday messages because he maintains that that's his son you know it's strained Linda's marriage um and of course she's also been dragged through the mud by a lot of people including the ones who exposed her real name so who gave the the helmet to Johnny third man third man Mm -hmm. so Richard and the third man believe they're Johnny's dad or the third man might just feel connected because they're in the same space in that same abducted space I don't know that the third man thinks he is in some way related Hopkins seems to suggest that calling him Poppy is like just like I'm a sweet old man gotcha you know call me granddad not not your dad right I'm here for you weird creepy old man um there are a lot of lingering questions uh so like things that are usually lobbied against this why are there witnesses right we never have witnesses in these cases why are there suddenly witnesses and hopkins suggests that perhaps it's because of that motorcade right of all these important political figures that this was this was the aliens making their presence known Mm. um why aren't there more witnesses is another question. It's in the middle of Manhattan. Some people apparently saw, where's everybody else? And there too, you have to imagine that perhaps, um, you know, there's a lot of people who saw it, but are doubting themselves or not going to come forward because of the embarrassment of it. Um, or that perhaps people were in suspended animation, just like Linda's family when she got back, right? That idea of being switched off. Why wouldn't Richard and Dan just come and talk to Hopkins face to face? Yeah, that's, that's the thing I didn't drop on my brain the entire time. Like, why did they not want to meet Hopkins? Yeah. And they allowed her to meet with them, but never. And even her husband saw Richard when he would like show up on the way to church. And yeah. another one of her friends saw Richard. There's like, there's like five different attempts for like Dan ends up being committed at some point, escapes, goes after Linda again. And it's, it's a read. It's a real read, oh, guys. Boy. Um, but, you know, they, they insist that it has to do with, like, national security issues and, and that it's safer for them if they don't come forward. It, some people have even suggested maybe they don't even exist, oh, which would mean that Linda would have to somehow have, like, orchestrated a really complex multi-year narrative, narrative with, like, people hired to voice act for these audio cassettes that Richard and Dan send yeah. and, like... UN stationary and things that you know so mm. and then finally who the heck is the third man sorry I wrote down wrote that like 15 minutes conversation <laughs> I mean, I'm showing the post-it note to Christina I really wrote who is the third man so never revealed but there seems to be a lot of speculation in part based on the movements of this individual as well as the things he's connected to that it might have been Javier Perez de Cuellar who was a diplomat and, most importantly, the UN Secretary General from 1981 to 1991, so smack in the middle of 
this story. Perez de Cuellar died in early March of 2020, and according to his Times obituary, he, quote, helped end a 10-year war between Iran and Iraq, secured the withdrawal of Soviet forces from Afghanistan, wound down conflicts in Cambodia, El Salvador, and Nicaragua, and shepherded Namibia to independence from South Africa. His United Nations peacekeepers won the 1988 Nobel Peace Prize for work in Mozambique and Angola. So he has the right connections to the right countries in the right years, and also this connection to the idea of world peace, which is something that is mentioned over and over again in his letters as mm. what he thinks this is connected to. So he never, you know, came forward as Hopkins had hoped. Um, but that's that's the that's the story, folks. I think I mean there's so many loose ends, um, including. If this is happening, why are they doing this? Why? Why? Why are the aliens doing yeah, this? Yeah, like the bigger question is like, yeah, if this is all true, what, is, what are they gaining out of this? So some people say it's like an ecological warning. The sand thing is really confusing. The beach thing, the lady of the sands is really So weird. confusing. And so that's one of the things that people are like, oh, it must be an ecological thing. And Hopkins says, yeah, but that could also just be a red herring. They're taking people without their consent, right? Like there's a lot of manipulation happening. So... That seems weird, but he sums it up with, um, I think, a lovely thought at the end, which he writes. Despite the fears of many, nothing in my 20 years of research into this phenomenon suggests that the UFO occupants are inherently malevolent. I have seen absolutely no evidence that they are bent upon invasion or the enslavement of the human race. But despite the hopes of many others, there is not a shred of evidence supporting the idea that aliens are benign and that their central goal is the healing of our endangered planet. It seems to me that these powerful hopes and fears are nothing more than badges of the human condition, signs that many of us still live in dread of demonic conquest or an expectation of angelic rescue from our problems. For the truth is much more complex. The UFO occupants are here for their reasons, not ours. Mm. And there you have it, folks. Wow. Thanks for sticking through a, uh, a real romp. Can't recommend this book enough. It is a read. Yeah, that's just, it's so, I, I think it's an interesting tale. Um, gosh, Christina has a thousand pages of notes <laughs> that she didn't get through half, the, her, half her notes. You can hear them all now. Um, but my gosh, what a crazy situation. This is the trimmed down version. There's like four more attempts at kidnapping her. There's it's it's so much. Maybe we'll revisit this episode in future episodes. That'd yes. be a cool thing. Yes. Um you know the thing is too, you know, as we kinda like wind down a little bit, I've always said the one thing that always gets me about all these stories is why the people why those people. Yeah. Like what is it about them? that is special or not special mm-hmm. like why are those so that's why I always get um I don't know if I was if I was an alien mm-hmm. and I'm doing my recon on earth I'm like looking for like the Bill Gates of the world I'm looking for the mm. geniuses I'm looking for the leaders and the geniuses to mm-hmm. figure out what's happening not like just random people who I don't know yeah although what's interesting about this one is that it's also like a a cross section of that right because you have your average family but you also have the third man but was the third man just there at a wrong time wrong place wrong time maybe although he also eventually starts talking about that he does have other dreams of experiences Jeez. i guess we'll never really know 
Well, Took thanks. It to his grave. Thanks for that, like ridiculous tale. And if you want <gasps> to, if you want to sound off, um, you know where to go. You got to go to our um, our iTunes, our, our Apple Podcast. Drop us some stars, ideally five of them, and um, give us some 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 comments. Um, tell us tell us what you like. Tell us what you, you want to hear more of, and let us know what you think the aliens want. Yeah, and uh, you know, hit us up on the social medias. You can find us on the Instagram and on the Facebook at NY Mystery Machine, and on the Twitter at NY Mysteries. Um, so be sure to to follow subscribe like thanks for joining us on this second episode we'll see you next time and we'll or see hear you next you. time I guess you'll hear us there it is see you soon <laughs> <laughs>